I think we're all very accustomed to greeting one another. You know, it may be something formal like, well, good morning, good afternoon. Or it might be something a little less formal. Hey, how you doing? In either case, often after we give that initial greeting, a question follows. And that question is, how are you today? How are you doing? What's happening? And with that, we often don't even listen to the response. It's just part of a formal greeting process. And the person might say something like, well, I'm fine. I'm doing okay. Well, I'm doing all right under the circumstances. Or someone might say, well, I'm not having one of my best days. Then it may trigger that little red flag in our minds and we want to ask the question is, what do you mean? What's going on? Greetings. We talk about this time of the year and everybody says it's just such a wonderful time of the year. And the fact that we wish this mood, this spirit of the season could just continue year-round. What we find is most people this time of the year aren't doing so well. Suicide rates are higher this time of the year than any other time of the year. Surveys show that the majority of people, if you ask them the question, you know, are you doing all right? Are you happy? The majority of people answer no. Over 80% of individuals living in the land of the free with the great opportunities that are before us would say, bottom line is, I'm not happy. That's not just true of older people, it's true of young people. You know the greatest cause of death in teenagers? Suicide. People just aren't happy. People just aren't finding fulfillment in life. We ask the question, how are you doing? And the reality is most people aren't doing very well at all. I think the reason is we often have inappropriate expectations as to what life is all about. Solomon made it very clear in the book of Ecclesiastes, life is not designed to make us happy. Life is designed to do something far more important, to teach us to fear God, to recognize our accountability to him, and to be ready for something far beyond whatever could be offered in this life. I think the other is building your life on the wrong foundation. And that's what Solomon is telling us in the book of Ecclesiastes. As the Spirit of God directed him, he said, if you are an individual who is looking to build your life on temporal things to find your meaning and your satisfaction, you're going to be disappointed. It's going to leave you high and dry. It's going to lack ultimate fulfillment. So escapism basically becomes the philosophy of most individuals. Some of you are probably dreading tomorrow because tomorrow you got to go to work. 
and the escapism, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. And now I have the weekend for myself. Other forms of escapism are various stimulants. Be they drugs, be they alcohol, be they prescription medications. Ways in which I don't really have to deal with what's going on and I can cope with what is around me. What we need to be sure is we have the right foundation and a right understanding of what life is all about. In the book of Ecclesiastes and in chapter 11, beginning in verse 3, Solomon stated the following. If the clouds are full, they pour out rain on the earth. And whatever, uh, wherever a tree falls, whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, woman so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether evening or morning sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. The light is pleasant and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes yet know that God will bring you to judgment for the all these things so remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting the theme temporal things don't give you a foundation for life. They'll leave you empty. They don't have lasting satisfaction. And developing that in chapters 1 through 6, in chapter 7 to the end of the book, he sets forth the deductions that come from that theme. And we're actually getting towards the end of the deductions that he's making, where he's providing us with statements of wisdom so that we know how to handle life, to cope with life, to really have meaning, satisfaction, fulfillment in life. And as we look at this section, what we find is that Solomon doesn't give us an escapism mentality. He tells us, here's how you can look at life and all of its chilling perplexities and problems and still have a sense of well-being as you go through life. That's the beauty of the word of God as truth. He provides us with a foundation that is sufficient for us to build our lives and to find that in the midst of all the problems, in the midst of all the difficulties, in the midst of all the dilemmas that come upon us, we can still have meaning and purpose in life. The first thing that Solomon stated in this section, and I'm reviewing right now for those that are joining us today, is that he stated that life is filled with uncertainties. You have no guarantee as to what this afternoon will bring. You have no guarantee of what tomorrow will be like. 
In fact, he mentioned earlier, your life is very much like a bird caught in the net. You don't know when death is coming upon you. Not any one of us know the hour of our death. It is filled with uncertainties. We might feel, find a great deal of comfort in thinking if everything could just be a simple cause and effect situation in life, but the reality is it's not like that. Sometimes we scratch our head and we say, how did that happen to that person? They sure don't deserve it. Other individuals have worked very hard to obtain something they've never gotten there. The perplexities in life. How did that individual ever get into a place of authority? The dilemmas that we face. What Solomon wants us to understand is you're not going to be able to figure everything out. That life is filled with problems, with uncertainties, with perplexities. The second thing that he has been emphasizing in this section before us is the fact that there are things in life that you can't change. That's why he said in verse 3, if the clouds are full, they pour out rain. If a tree falls to the north or the south, that's where it lies. The point he is making is there are things in life like we can look at in the physical world in which we live that you and I can't change them. Earlier, he had stated that if God has straightened something, you can't bend it. If God has bent something, you can't straighten it. It is the recognition going all the way back to chapter 3. God is the one who has an appointed time for every event under heaven. And I need to come to grips with the fact that there are things in life that I can't alter. I can't change the realities that take place. The third thing that Solomon is saying to us in these words of wisdom is there's no perfect situation. Notice how he says it in verse 4. He says, he who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. If you're looking at the most ideal time to do something, it isn't going to come. In fact, one of the modern ways of stating this is Overanalysis leads to paralysis. We have so much information given us today. We're trying to make the right decision and do the right thing. And we analyze, we analyze, we analyze, and we become incapacitated. There is no perfect situation for you or for me in anything in life. If I spend all my time, is it going to rain? Is the wind too strong? Maybe it's not time to sow. If I'm looking for the perfect opportunity to do something, it isn't coming. I need to take advantage of what's before me. And the final thing he says here is you look at life, no matter how educated you are, no matter how much man has grown in his understanding and comprehension of the things of this universe, there are still things we don't understand. He stated here for in his own day, you don't don't know the path of the wind. You don't know how bones are formed in a pregnant woman. Verse 5, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. There's a mystery to God's working in the world. We know his objectives 
and we know certain things that he will never violate. His objective is to bring history to its appointed conclusion where Jesus Christ will be enthroned as King of Kings. That means he's working in all the nations of the earth to accomplish that. And you and I can't understand how he could use, at times, evil government authorities to accomplish that purpose, and at other times, beneficial ones. Not only is he working in all the individual's nations, he is also working in the uh, interaction of these nations with one another. Then we go beyond that more specifically, he's working in your life and in my life. And he's accomplishing what he has designed for us. And if I am a child of God, he is always going to work everything together for my good, regardless of how difficult something may be that I go through. He is working in the lives of other people that they can come to grips with the fact that, you know, there's got to be something more than just what I can see in this world. And when calamities come, how often people take time to spiritually reflect upon what's really important because God has so worked that men might fear him. If you look at all of this, you might throw up your hands and say, man, what's the use? And so in that regard, he is bringing conclusions to what he's looked at. And he says, here's how you should look at life And what you should do. Notice verses 7 and following. First, light is pleasant. And it's good for the eyes to see the sun. I'll bet you every one of you agree with that. Not too long ago, my wife and I were looking for a different home. And every once in a while, we'd look at a home and things seemed to be good. And she would say something to me like, It's just too dark inside. There's not enough windows. Isn't it amazing people who live in areas of the world where the sun hardly shines in given parts of the year struggle with depression? The light is pleasant. It's good for the eyes to see the sun. There's a beneficial value that comes from light. But figuratively, Solomon is saying something more profound and deeper. What he is saying to you and he's saying to me, in light of the problems you face, in light of all of the perplexities that you have, in light of the fact that no matter how many times you butt your head against something, you can't change what's there, in light of the fact that you're so often disappointed, things don't happen the way that you expect them to happen, in light of the fact that you might have certain diseases or problems that come, you know what Solomon's saying? It's good to be alive. Life is pleasant. It is good for the eyes to see the sun. If you want to cross-reference, you can go to the book of Job. And in Job chapter 3, he talks about the fact that light is identified with life. Same human author, Solomon, and from his pen, guided by the Spirit of God. He says in verse 20, Why is light given to him who suffers 
and here's the poetic parallel, and life to the bitter of soul. Figuratively, light that is pleasant is saying to us, in spite of all the pressures and problems we face in life, it's good to be alive. It is a gift from God to have life. When God is given praise as is recorded for us in the book of Revelation, what do you find? The first reason he is lifted up and praised. It says, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power because by your will and good pleasure all things have their existence and have been brought into being. Why do you exist? Why are you a unique person? Because of the good pleasure of God. And what he's given you is life. And if it is a gift that comes from him, how do we respond to other gifts that we have? Well, thank you. I really wanted that. I look forward to using that. How did you know that's just what I wanted? Genuine thanksgiving includes joy. And if you're not convinced of that, read Psalm 100. Enter into his courts with what? With thanksgiving. And into his presence with joyful singing. If I am genuinely thankful, I am a person who has joy. And the first is the privilege of just having existence. It's a gift that's come from God. Now, scientifically, we try to rob him of his glory and say that all you are and all that I am is just a mutate of science, of natural selection. Isn't that right? Genes somehow coming together and forming us as human beings. But as David said in Psalm 139, I will give praise to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Light is pleasant, it's sweet, it's beneficial, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Now we talked at the beginning about the fact of people being depressed and individuals who take their own lives and man, all that might be going on throughout that struggle and turmoil Uh, many of us can't fully comprehend. But if you look at the general tenor of human beings, even when they're sick, do you know what they struggle for? I want to stay alive. Because deeply rooted within us as human beings is the fact that death is an enemy. Death is a stranger Death is not something I am looking forward to. I want to be alive. It's the gift that he's given. He says, the light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. And so, indeed, in that regard, think about this. You know what's good for you to do today? Notice he says, 
if a man should live many years, what should you do in those many years? Rejoice. Rejoice in every one of them. Now, those who still are struggling with whether or not the book of Ecclesiastes is giving us God's mindset on how to live life, what are we told in the New Testament we're to always do? Rejoice. What are we to be sure that we never stop doing? Rejoice without ceasing. It is the recognition that God's people are to have an experience of joy in the daily life. And if for no other reason, it's because your sins and your lawless deeds will be remembered against you no more. I need to remember that Solomon is giving this advice to individuals that he says, if you look back with me over in chapter 9 and in verse 7, Go then eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Why? For God has already approved your works. If I am an individual that has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I'm not on a merit system before God. I'm not trying to earn his favor and his love. It has been poured out upon me in Jesus Christ the Lord. Earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon said the same thing in the third chapter, but he says this as a statement, for who can have joy apart from him? The world manufactures a hollow joy, but true joy is the privilege of God's people. Indeed, if you live many years, Don't grow old and crotchety. Don't become a bitter person because you've been fighting against what's going on in your life. What's appropriate for God's people is that they are a people who are thankful for the gift of life and enjoy the day that God's given. Again, if I go to Psalm 139... David said in Psalm 139, in your book, they were all written, the days that were ordained for me before there was ever one of them. Why do you have today? It's a gift from God. And so often, we find that we either are relishing about things in the past or we're regretting things from the past, and we fail to adopt the mindset of the Apostle Paul where he said that I forget the things that are behind. I shouldn't be a person that's always focused on, as Solomon condemned earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, the quote-unquote good old days. Because the good old days were just the same as today. And not only am I to be grateful to God for the fact that he has given me the gift of life. But as our little um, poem says, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. 
today is God's gift. What are you doing with it? You have a life and existence because of his good pleasure. And he's given you today. It's a gift that's come from his hand. So he says, back in verse 8, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Notice the shift from live many years and the days of darkness. There'll be many of those too. There's two possibilities for how we understand the days of darkness. It could be a term that refers to once we pass through death. You know, Jesus equated it to the outer darkness. And in the Old Testament, there are places where figuratively what exists after this life is darkness. In other words, it's a mystery. We don't know exactly what it's like. The other possibility, and I tend to believe this is how we would understand it, is the days of darkness have to do with times of difficulty, have to do with the problems that we're going to face in life. Do you remember why Jesus said we're not to worry about tomorrow? I mean, part of it is we could answer, well, we don't worry about tomorrow because we don't know what tomorrow is coming. But his statement, don't worry about tomorrow, is because you got enough problems today. So why compound today's problems with what may happen tomorrow? No, if I am living wisely, if I'm living biblically, if I'm living with an orientation on the Lord, where I have him as the foundation of my life as well as my focus, I'm an individual that recognizes today is God's gift. And what I am to do is enjoy it. What I am to do is rejoice in it in spite of the problems and difficulties I face. And it is so often individuals, God's people, who go through the greatest of difficulties in life who still have a song in their mouth that bear the greatest witness, isn't it? To go through life and be Eeyore, to go back to Winnie the Pooh, doesn't commend Christianity to anyone. Look at how miserable I am. Don't you want to be a Christian too? My focus is on Christ. My statement is my God is all sufficient. He is the one that undergirds me and upholds me. And even in the midst of sorrows, I can trust him because he's working it for my good. Today is a gift. We sing it in the song, day by day and with each passing moment. Strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting where? In my father's wise bestowment. I have no cause for worry or for fear. Because he whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure mingling toil with perfect peace and rest. God's people can go through some really horrific things. 
Paul tells us, don't be surprised, but you're going to go through the same kind of things that everyone else goes through. But the difference is God gives us the way of escape that we can endure them, we can bear up under them. God's people are never just under the circumstances. God's people in trials as well as in times of joyous prosperity are always in the presence of the one who is the fullness of joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. Far too often, individuals throw in the towel, become overwhelmed, because inappropriate expectations haven't been met. I erroneously think life deserves, I, life owes me something better than what I'm getting. I erroneously think that really what's most important in life is that I'm just happy. And the reality is what's really most important in life is that I know my God, that I walk with him, that my offenses and sin will never be held against me because Jesus Christ paid it all. And that even now, God is so working to bring into my daily experience that's what's for my best good. And it's not just for the adults that are here to remember this. Because notice the next verse says, to the youth, to the young people, Rejoice during your childhood and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Follow the impulses of your heart. God's people recognize life for what it really is and understand that the place of real fulfillment, real joy, is in the Lord. Because no matter what I accomplish, what I do in the temporal, it's still vanity. It's emptiness. I'll take none of my rewards with me to glory. You know, I can have my shelf full of trophies. I can have streets named after me. I can have all the accolades of men. But when I pass through into the eternal state, they'll mean absolutely nothing. Your bank account won't go with you. It's all vanity. It leaves you empty. The only thing that really matters is a relationship with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. How I praise you, Father, that in Jesus Christ you've given us a blessed hope. A hope not only to provide us with joy as we go through the difficulties of life, but that certain expectation that one day very soon 
we will be with you and see you face to face. All because of the all-sufficiency of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. For those that know you not and are still struggling, Father, how I pray that your spirit would open their eyes and their understanding and their confident trust might be in Christ Jesus the Lord. And for those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, to know how blessed it is to be one who has taken refuge in you. Father, provide us with that inner strength to meet whatever you give to us each day triumphantly in Jesus Christ. And as we sing in the hymn, 10,000 Reasons, Father, when the evening comes, may we still be singing your praise. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.